How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to your favorite swimmate podcast, Scales and Tales, episode 45 today. Today we're we're joined by yet another PNW stick because I I said it when Frank was on, like I cannot get enough of the Pacific Northwest. It just is such a magical place in my eyes. And I'm sure these guys are like, it's not that cool, dude. But being in Michigan and like seeing the fish they're catching up there and like knowing kinda what their seasons are like, I think it's badass. So um today we're joined by Mr. Daryl Donarski. Donarski? Donarski? Yeah, you got that right. <clears throat> okay. Yes, I thought, dude. Like I said, I, I wrote it down. I wrote it down like how it looks like it should be said, and that's what I went with. But uh, no worries. We're we're talking to Daryl, and um, I think that there's there's probably a lot of people who know who you are. I would think, like just just by the name and stuff, especially like if they when they hear your Instagram handle, they'll be like, oh, I know who this guy is. So we'll let uh, we'll let Daryl introduce himself, and then we'll we'll get right into it like we usually do. Well, my name is Daryl Donarski. Obviously, you mentioned that. Um, I'm from Washington State. Grew up here my entire life. Um, been bass fishing basically my entire life. I took a little hiatus to do some steelhead fishing and stuff. But my uh, my son ended up getting me back into it again, and that's what kind of started this whole deal. I've been kind of swim baiting since, I don't know, I was talking with my buddy trying to remember exactly when, but like sometime in like 2017, I think I bought my first like legit swim bait, like something that was six inches plus. And then just kind of spiraled out from there. Um, but yeah, that's kind of how I got started in this stuff. Damn. So when you first got into fishing, was it like I, when people think PNW, I mean, I think like Atlantic, Atlantic or just ocean salmon, steelhead, like you had mentioned, was that what got you into it or had it always been bass for you? Um, ever since I can remember it was bass. I mean, I don't know if it was for sure my grandpa or one of my uncles, but I just remember being obsessed with bass fishing. You know, I'd get up in the morning and watch, uh, you know, the bass masters and all those TV shows, Bill dance, obviously. And yeah, I was just obsessed with it ever since I was little. At that, at that point in time was bass fishing big in Washington. It wasn't like really, really big here. I mean, obviously there were guys that have done it for, you know, longer than I could ever remember, but yeah, you know, the salmon and steelhead were definitely the big thing. Um, all the ocean fishing to bottom fish. Um, that's what I'm mainly new people as doing. They would, uh, you know, they would just waiting for the, those fall runs of salmon and then steelhead pretty much run year round here. And we've got, some pretty epic well in the past they were epic uh steelhead rivers like the skagit and sock and sky comish and the olympic peninsula and all that stuff um so yeah that's the majority of what everybody did but bass fishing it's kind of always been around right this year's like isn't is it your guys's steelhead or is it just your like trout in general that are su are they super down in numbers or is it just a bad year? I I know Frank touched on it and I've read some articles about I think it was your guys's steelhead numbers are just like down in general super bad right now. Yeah, both steelhead and the salmon. I mean, I was I guided for 7 plus years doing the the river thing, a lot of fly fishing for steelhead and salmon. And uh I think ever since like I don't know, it was like the late 2000s, like 2008, 2009, things really started going downhill. Um, 
I remember back in like 2001, 2002, the steelhead fishing was phenomenal. I mean, I'd go up to uh, the Stillaguamish and look in some of those pools and you'd see a couple hundred steelheads stacked in a few of those places. But Dude, that, yeah, that's ridiculous. It's like a ghost town up there nowadays. It's, it's really sad. Is, so here, um, our fish are naturally reproducing, but our DNR um, here in Michigan, we have weirs. And so it's, it's more or less just a cement dam that goes across and they catch these fish in huge holding tanks. And so like they, they'll, they'll, um, fuck, what's the word? They'll keep like 60% of them, kill them, rip all their eggs out. And they'll, they'll, they'll do like hatcher fish. So like they'll, they'll take those fish back to the, the building, wherever it is, and they'll hatch them and get them up to fingerling and then they'll release them. Is, do you guys just have straight hundred percent pure, uh, pure spawning out there? Um, not necessarily. I mean, there's been hatcheries for a long time, but they've been slowly kind of tearing them out um, because they've they've kind of done a bunch of studies and they've determined that the hatchery steelhead have a negative impact in the on the um, on the wild steelhead. But it seems to be the opposite with the salmon. But really, I think what ends up coming down to is there's a commercial interest in, in salmon. And so they're willing to put more money into funding that than they are into the steelhead. Um, as much as, you know, the steelhead and salmon bring a lot of money to the economy in this area, just in people spending money on food and gas and all that stuff to get up there. Um, it seems like the salmon, because it's a commercial interest, is a much bigger holding in it. Damn, that's that's just kind of unfortunate. I don't know. Like we don't have naturally occurring steelhead here or, or salmon for that matter. We I think it was like in the seventies or sixties. We, you, I, it was like an Eastern era, uh, coastal state. They sold Michigan and Wisconsin a shit ton of um, eggs and they ended up planting them in Lake Michigan. And now, now magically we have these fish and it's been naturally reoccurring since then. But obviously the DNR has, has pushed it a lot and, when we have bad years of spawns, it 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 gets pushed on the DNR a, a lot. Whether it's because people claim that they're taking all these um, eggs and they're selling these hatchlings to like Wisconsin, because the big debate is like Wisconsin will have a really good year and Michigan will have like a shitty year, or vice versa. Like it's very rarely that like both sides have a really good year, and so it's just it's just a blaming. It's everybody's pointing fingers at each other, and I just think I don't know. It's just how it goes, I guess. What? Whereas, yeah. like you guys, you guys have like a whole different complex scenario out there by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of different uh, entities involved. I mean, there's the tribal part of it, and then uh, the state and the government and all that stuff. So it's it's definitely kind of something I've I've kind of stayed out of a little bit more. Um, that's one thing that actually got me back into bass fishing was like the, the politics involved behind the steelhead and salmon were so out of control that I just wanted to get away from it really. Um, and then fortunately for me, my son kind of like was getting a little bit bored with going to the river and swinging a fly, trying to catch a steelhead. Cause you know, they were getting far farther and fewer between. So we got back into kind of some of the lake stuff and that's what kind of spiraled me back into the whole bass fishing and then eventually the swim bait stuff. So. Yeah. So you guys, you, you get back into bass fishing was, 
was it big in Washington at the time, like the swim bait fishing scene? The swim bait, the swim bait fishing scene wasn't big. Um, you know, there was a lot of guys doing it back in the day. I mean, there's guys that go back way before 2014, as far as like, I can track it down. You know, I know Brent two, five, three caster and, and, uh, there's guys like tag Watson, Roger Davis, Dan Hadrill. There's a bunch of guys doing it. Um, but they kept it under wraps for the most part. Um, you didn't see a lot of it other than on the Hiroshima website, you would see tag Watson and Roger Davis with some fish, um, and some giants actually. So it's, it's been a thing here, you know, kind of, I think some of the earlier guys were using the big musky plugs and stuff like that to do it. Um, and then once the more, um, advanced swim baits started coming around, you know, obviously that was where they went. Hiroshima was a big one. I know the, the sly guy was a, a thing here as well. Um, obviously the S waivers, HUDs, stuff like that. But yeah. Do you think it kind of trickled like trickled from North Cal up to you guys? Do you think that'd probably be a fair, fair statement? Or, I mean, I guess like 2014 social media was around, but it's not, I, I can't imagine Swimbaits had like a huge presence online at that point in time. I feel like it was probably mostly like word of mouth type stuff. I would, I would guess, I don't know, you know what they say about assuming. So I guess yeah, I say that. <laughs> that that's my assessment of how it came about. I know tag Watson was big in the industry for a long time. He's, you know, I don't know the guy personally, but I have a friend who knows him pretty well. And uh, so, you know, I, I was trying to trace some of the history back, but those guys are pretty tight lipped. <laughs> so they don't give out much too easily. Um, but I was mostly just curious about the history. Um, but yeah, I think that's kind of how a lot of it came about. Guys taking trips down to California, fishing Clear Lake and all those other lakes down there. So. Your favorite Swimbait podcast is now proudly sponsored by Leviathan Rods. Leviathan Rods is a Texas-based fishing rod company that's handcrafted and uses high-end, made-in-the-USA rod blanks. Every sale from Leviathan helps support foster youth and their families. With Leviathan Rods, you're not only going to feel a difference, but you're going to help make a difference, too. Friends of the show will also get 20% off their rod purchases by using code SCALES20 at checkout. So whether you're fishing at depths 250 or a square bill, make sure you're using the best rod choice out there, Leviathan Rods. It's it's kind of crazy just to think about it being like a super niche thing in California. And then, I mean, in, in what, you know, 10 years, it really blew up like 20, 2011, 2012. And then fast forward another 10 years, like where we are now, dude, like it's every every brand is making a swim bait. Now you got Shimano making swim baits now. Like it's so crazy to think about. It is. It is really crazy. I mean, like I think my first swim bait was probably a savage gear when they came out early um and i i remember i think my first swim bait fish was on the six inch and it was like a four and a half pound bass but i was blown away with how deeply that fish choked that big swim bait and that thing was a giant bait compared to anything i was throwing before that you know i had, I had thrown like some giant spinner baits and stuff like that like basically musky size and caught some really big bass on those things. Um, and I was building like these insanely huge chatter baits actually a long time ago. Those are another thing that was kind of killer. And that's what kind of seeing them eat that stuff made me go, okay, you know, this is a thing they're into this big stuff. And if I wanted to up my game, you know, that's kind of what 
got me starting to be willing to spend the money on the swim baits. Um, and I think after the Savage Gear stuff, I had some S waivers and stuff like that, but I jumped up to the HUDs. And uh, I remember one year in October, freezing cold, could barely feel, feel my fingers dragging a HUD across the bottom. And that thump, I remember when that thing ate it, that's kind of what got me going. You know, being a fly fisherman for steelhead, you go fish for a long time without getting a lot of bites. So I think that kind of helped me be more willing to go spend the time and not get bit right away to actually end up reaping the rewards when it actually happened. So that's so badass. So when you first started, did you, I can't imagine that you got your savage gear and you're like, boom, okay, I'm buying a dedicated soft bait swim bait rod. Like what was, what was your, what was your first setup for it? My first setup was, a, I believe it was a seven foot four inch um, extra heavy flipping stick, um, really short handle. So casting the bait, I just remember even like those swim baits back then felt like that rod was loading so deep with that, that bait on there. <laughs> so, you know, it wasn't, wasn't the proper gear obviously, but it ended up doing the job. Um, I was lucky enough to the first, the first fish that bit those baits, I landed them. So that kind of really got me going even more because you know there's nothing like getting into that stuff and missing a bunch of fish and then kind of bringing your your hopes down a little bit but but yeah it's uh the the place where i caught my very first um six inch swim bait fish on that savage gear was where i ended up catching my biggest one ever like some odd years later and i think it was 2020 um at 11 four so it was a uh, it was pretty cool little full circle right there dude that's just that is so crazy um i obviously i want to touch on that a little bit later because that, that's just that's its own topic right now um fuck what was i gonna say oh at what point in time did you kind of realize like after x amount of fish you're like okay this is this is like untapped potential here you know this is like i need to milk this i need i need to fish more of these these baits whether it's just big soft baits or baits like uh like those musky plugs you had touched on earlier at what point in time you're like okay i need to i need to see what this stuff's all about and and kind of widen widen my horizons a little bit it happened pretty quick and like i you know this day and age i don't think about it that often but then you know coming on here and talking to you i was like well i better get my facts straight you know when all this stuff happens so I talked to a couple of my friends that I had around when I started doing this stuff. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it took off pretty quick. Um, and I kept it hidden most of the time. So I was fishing some of the tiny boat, um, tournaments. Um, that's kind of where I met Frank and some of those guys. And I used to always keep the stuff hidden in the boat. I won't ever pull it out until I was on the spot. And after the spot, I put it away. Because I, I knew at some point, just kind of seeing what was going on with social media, that it was going to blow up. And obviously, you know, there was, there was guys doing it, but most everybody that was doing it kind of kept it pretty quiet. Um, but then, yeah, the last couple of years, that all just skyrocketed. So it's, it's definitely out there now. Everybody knows. Damn, dude. Yeah, it's, uh, it doesn't take long, especially if you catch a decent fish. like. Say you say you catch a six or a seven, and 
than like your your buddies posted on their story dude it's like it's wildfire you it's it's your most like picture and you've been on instagram for three years it's got the most likes it's got the most comments like you can, everybody's posting it on their store and you just you're just like oh my gosh i think i just screwed up like but it's always like we've talked about it before on the show like it's it's that price tag that that keeps people away unless they want to be super dedicated to it and at that point in time if somebody's gonna buy buy this quote unquote magical bait like um uh, Stephen was telling me that everybody bought many truches after he caught caught his big fish this spring and it's like people assume that it's a magical bait and more times than not guys get discouraged because they're either not catching fish or they aren't catching that that one fish caliper that you had posted a week ago and they're just like all oh, these things don't work but like i said you always have that that small niche group of people that'll just stick with it and grind it out and they kind of learn that bait and how to fish it and and at a point in time they might catch a fish like you did or they just you know they just catch constant decent fish it there it's just one end of the spectrum or the other there's not really kind of a middle ground i don't think yeah um one thing i always try to tell everybody that is considering getting into it is um you know yeah the the baits definitely help but you can have the best bait on the market and not know how to use it and you'll never catch a fish on that thing um the biggest thing i think for for anybody that wants to get into it is pick a bait or a couple of baits that fits your style i think if you've got a wake bait a soft bait and a you know something in between like a glide you can cover the water columns and then you've also got to find them that fit your cadence because a lot of people will fish a bait designed to fish slow too fast or vice versa and it, it just kills the action and it doesn't look natural to the fish so matching baits to a guy's style i think is key it doesn't matter what the next guy is doing it, it needs to be what you can cast and fish effectively yeah exactly um so what what were your kind of um beginning baits what was your beginner's lot i i would i would call it um so my beginner's lot was the savage gear baits um you know i ended up getting some of those uh i think they're called like the 3d or 4d they ended up having like the couple of joints in them the eight inchers um and then s waivers um i started getting into the mega bass i slide series um and then huds so those were kind of like my main ones for a long time i threw the i slide 262 a lot and a lot of people didn't like that bait because it took effort to make it glide you had to kind of fish it almost like a giant jerk bait but that thing i had some insane six plus pounders on that thing i mean like shark fins behind it kind of stuff it was pretty awesome once i really figured out the cadence that's so crazy it's that's like a bait that gets tossed around that you you need to fish it like a glide bait i've never had one i want one i've wanted one so bad but i've always heard that and i'm always like that would be the perfect bait because that is exactly that's exactly how i like to fish my glide baits and i just i haven't pulled the trigger yet why i don't know but i need to for sure especially because so many people say it i'm like i need to try that so bad yeah, I mean, you give that thing a big hit and give it a little slack and it just glides way out. I mean, it's one of the wider gliding baits you can get for that price. Um, but you got to know how to 
how to work it and like the the setup is key to you need just a slightly stiffer faster rod than what you would typically throw a glide on just to get it to you know give it that pop and get it to glide out yeah and that's another thing like people people who get into it who who don't really have uh friends who are like-minded or who already swim bait fish and uh maybe aren't a part of like underground or universe you know Swimbait Nation, any of these like Facebook pages, it it can really be discouraging. Like trying to watch these guys fish this stuff through YouTube videos, and you're just like, I I do not understand what they're doing differently. Whether whether they're doing like a faster or slower reel than you, like a uh, gear ratio, or just just a whole whole list of things. Like I've I felt that I learned the best when I'm fishing with somebody, and they're like they're showing me how they work it, and I'm like, oh like. That's I've learned a lot of stuff off YouTube. I can't like knock it, but I in person learning is like just the easiest thing ever. I feel like, especially with swim baits. Yeah, and, and I didn't really know anybody doing it when I got into it, so I didn't. I really kind of had to go out there and just mess around with it and experiment. I did a lot of research online, and obviously YouTube helped. Um, actually, I remember watching like uh oliver nye and those guys like just over and over again trying to figure out how they were fishing some of that stuff and like you know if i butch brown wasn't like all over the place when when i was looking around but i started seeing little blips of his stuff pop up and i was watching the huds and then the um the 250 and the 250 is what kind of sparked the glide bait thing for me i mean when i first got that bait that thing (laughs) was it was something else. I mean, one of the the spots that I had, I actually kind of blew up posting it on, on uh, Instagram. I didn't even hardly know what Instagram was until like 2019. And I didn't realize how many locals actually were on there and had actually seen my video. And then all of a sudden people are fishing this stuff, but I caught a fish on there on one of the cast of catches over 40 feet of water. Um, and that fish was just out there feeding on trout and there's a couple of pilings that stick up out there, but yeah, they just get on there at certain times of the year. And I, I have never seen it that way again since. Um, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it or if it just kind of the conditions played out that way, but yeah, the 250 was kind of like my, my spiral down that, uh, rabbit hole of glide baits, um, I'm, I'm assuming I'm assuming that spot like like you just described it it's pretty recognizable especially in a cast catch video I would I would yeah. guess <laughs> yeah yep and uh there's a guy a local guy up here um he was kind of like all about that when he saw that video and he's trying to figure out who I was I guess and stuff I didn't I found this kind of like secondhand from someone else but because the fish looked giant in the video I think it was it it was just shy of six pounds if I remember right the first one I caught out there, but I've you know at that year there was a there was a couple of beasts hanging out on those pilings. That sounds like such a blast, dude. What what color two fifty did you have if you remember? Uh, I had the the rainbow trout color originally. Um, and I think it was it wasn't any of the butch brown ones. I think it's just the standard rainbow trout. That- oh. Um, not the Japan one, because I think that one kind of like had the brighter color, but mm-hmm. just the regular rainbow trout one. Did you buy it new or was it, did you get it secondhand off a, off a form? I bought it brand new. Um, they oh, weren't yeah. really, 
they weren't really around um, anywhere here. I kind of just scanned around on the internet and finally found one for sale and grabbed it because it seemed like that time period when I got into that, there wasn't a lot of the 250s available. I don't know if everybody's just buying them up during that time or they just weren't um, shipping them over. But Damn, yeah. I I think I've owned like six 250s and I have never owned a new one. I've never gotten the satisfaction of taking taking a 250 out of that black depths box <laughs> and, and looking at it, which I mean, it's I mean, it's just another thing of owning a bait, which is cool. But did did you like I don't know if Butch like openly talks about how he tunes these baits because he he's kind of a mysterious man as far as that goes. Did you like take the skin off and like look at the insides and see those lead pockets and stuff or did you just fish it completely bone stock out of the box so when i first got mine um i'm really really super meticulous about changing out hardware and all that stuff kind of to what i like and they they came with like these silver hooks on them and i think i caught the first fish on the silver hooks because i had brought i'd put it in the boat and i didn't change the hooks right away but then after that i started changing hooks and it seemed really to kind of affect the swim if you didn't have the right size hooks. And I think when I started um, messing with it, I ended up just happenstancely putting a a bigger hook in the front just to kind of get it to sit a little lower um, because that bait does want to nose up. So um, you'll get some here and there that seem to be more level running but a lot of them seem to nose up. And I think that's kind of a design they built into it from what I heard. But I know Butch openly has some videos now on Tackle Warehouse where he talks about the tuning. And I remember searching through the forums one time because a couple of guys were talking about that on there. And I found one guy who kind of explained how, how his was tuned that he ended up getting from Butch. And I messed with it a little bit. I screwed one of them up the first time I tried it. but. It's uh, it, once you kind of get it down, it's not too terribly difficult to do. Um, but the key is just filling that thing full of foam. It seems like the the OG two fifties they came that way, yeah, and yeah. It, it makes them more durable, and it also just changes the buoyancy of the bait, so it seems to want to stay more stable. But, now you're you're talking about how you're very meticulous. Are you the type of guy that uh, well, you just kind of touched on it that you're not, I mean, say you get a HUD, you're not worried about uh, like ripping, ripping out the gills and putting pipe cleaner in there and cutting up the fins and anything, or are you kind of more, I'm trying to think of the word here, I can't think of the word, you're, you take it a little bit slower, you're like, I'm not going to start chopping up this bait I just bought here, we'll, we'll run it and see see what I think it could use. Um. I with the huds I've kind of gone both ways. I've done the pipe cleaner stuff um and it seems to work. The the thing I do agree with on uh Butch he touches on it is uh the the way of rigging the hook on it. Um I fished him with the jig hook and I lost a lot of big fish with the jig hook. I think the treble is definitely the way to go. Um but it also tears the baits up a lot faster. So if you're worried about destroying them, they, they do work with the jig hook, but you probably will dump a few fish. Um, that's the one downside of the huds for me. Um, I really do like the hog hunters a lot better um, because those, those things run a little higher in the water column, but you can, you can change that by adding nail weights and stuff. 
and they're just a lot easier to rig the way I like to rig them. So, um, but yeah, I've, I've done a lot of crazy stuff with baits, chopping them up, ruining some of them, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, I don't, I don't fish stock hooks. I don't fish stock split rings, none of that stuff. Even if they're known quality, I change them out to what I like because I've had so much success with it and I've gone through the gamut of hooks. I mean, right now I currently run the, the owner STX 45s for most everything. And then, um, see where are the other ones, the Ryugi, um, they make a quad with the, the bearing in it. So the hook rotates. Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Those, those things yeah. are, are unbelievable. When, and they're, they're, they're called brutal for a reason. So if you catch small <laughs> fish, be very, very wary when they're flopping around. But, Dude, uh, I remember getting my first set of decoy quads. Like, so, um, my, the, the town I live by the big town, the Metro area, I'll call it uh, grand Rapids. It, it has a fishing expo and bass fishing like isn't isn't huge here or anything crazy but like kevin van dam um his his tackle store will come here and and all these other little mom and pop shops and and like uh big distributors will show up and have booths and stuff and for some reason we were at this we were at this uh booth and i was just tearing through their discount bucket and uh boom here here it is as a set of decoy quad like twos or something and at this point in time like decoys were kind of new still it's like quads were kind of new as far as like hitting the swim bait scene in the u.s i'm like oh my gosh and i bought a set of them and i put them on a seven inch slammer and the first day i went out with them i hooked this pike and dude that pike i hate to say it that pike probably died because pike thrash around and stuff so much once they get up shore and it just had all those hooks in its face and it was it was it was so gnarly and after that day i took them off and i'm like these these hooks like i mean i caught the fish the fish was never going to shake it off but i'm like but i feel like i feel like such an asshole because they they are just so aggressive i'm like unless i'm like unless i know i'm going to catch you know 5 6 pound bass i feel like i catch enough small fish that i am going to just ruin so many fish and so it's just it's just a trade off i feel like personally in my area that I'll just I'll bite the bullet and I'll just fish troubles over the quads. Yeah, it definitely. Um, I don't use them on everything. Uh, for me, they're they're on like the bigger stuff, just because yeah. a lot of those bigger baits they don't come with the rotating hook hangers. So like the trucha, the full size trucha is what I run them on a lot. Um, and then let's see what else. The mother was another the one mother. I ran. Them on. yeah. yeah. So some of those bigger baits like that they don't have the rotating hook hangers and I dumped some absolute giants on the mother. So it took me a lot of messing around trying to find hooks that I liked on that bait. <clears throat> yeah. Phoenix or not Phoenix, uh, Marshall, the homeless fisherman, he runs like pretty small hooks on his. And as far as I know, his hookup ratio is, is fairly good. Like he doesn't, he's never talked to me about missing a lot of fish and it just, I mean, I, I was going to talk about this earlier when you were talking about how it doesn't matter if they're, if they're a proven hook on these baits, you like change them out. Like it all comes down to confidence. Like if you have confidence in your gear, then you're not going to have a lick of doubt when, when you hook into that 11, four, like you, you know, you know, your stuff's going to work because it's worked X amount of times beforehand. Like it's just, you, you know, there's not going to be a flaw in your setup or your hooks or yep. your split rings or anything like that. 
Yeah, I agree. I agree with the smaller hooks. Um, and, and that's the same thing. Like the, the mother, a lot of people would think the hooks I run on that bait are small, um, or even the trucha. But I think that having big giant dangly hooks down there for me, it just kind of throws up an alarm that this thing isn't real. So I don't, I don't care for the bigger hooks. Also, I think those bigger hooks, um, it seems like the fish throw them easier. Uh, I run like size twos on my K9 and stuff like that. Um, size two STX 45s, which are pretty small and they're, they're short shank too. So they don't hang very mm-hmm. low and they tuck up under the bait. I think the other problem with big hooks is that when they're hanging down like that and a fish eats the bait, it's not eating the hooks. It's trying to eat the bait. So those hooks get caught more or less on the outside of the mouth. And I think that's yeah, another, another reason why you lose a lot of them. So, yeah, I think oh, I, I've, I know I, I'm no fishologist here, biologist, but I feel like, like you talked about, especially those baits like the mother. And if, if you have non Japan mother class fish, you know, like those eight, nine pounders that are eating it, like those are the fish that are going to eat it. And if you have like those four or five pounders that we have around here, I feel like when they go up and eat that bait, like you said, the hooks line up perfectly to be on the outside of their mouths. And right in, in my general thought, if a fish is coming up to eat that, obviously its mouth is extended all the way. And it's that super bony part of their mouth or that little hinge part of their mouth. And I feel like it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to get a hook through there, especially like on a hook set when they're like coming up to jaws, eat it and they're coming up at it. I feel like it's gotta be perfect, but if it's a smaller hook and it's, it's kind of, uh, sitting underneath the body when it glides back and forth it's just i think it's just all around better and if that's what you're confident in then it's just it's just going to feel better like i said earlier yeah yep and i think too i mean you can ruin the swim of some baits by going smaller on the hooks because they're balanced for those but you can compensate using like the little lead strips and stuff like that there's a there's a whole bunch of different uh different options out there for that so uh, if i if I feel like the hooks kind of take some of the needed weight away, I'll add a little bit of lead back to the bait. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And since we're kind of on this topic of, of bigger baits and stuff, when, when you first started to swim bait fish, was it like an instant thing that you started seeing results, like seeing these big class fish or just seeing wolf packs follow your baits baits in at that point in time or did it take a while for you to kind of learn these baits and and see the the style you should be fishing them to see these fish results for me it happened fairly quick i remember the the day that i caught the four and a half pounder in the same place i caught that 11 four um i when i threw it that day i had all these these packs of fish come out that i'd never seen before i mean the lake was known for being a dink fish lake and i don't even remember why it sparked me to throw that bait on that lake i think i was just probably testing it out but i started seeing results pretty quick and so i remember i got ticked in this one spot and i was like i know that's a fish and just the way it felt when i swung it felt like the bait ripped out of the fish's mouth so I was like, that felt like a pretty good sized fish. So I circled around at the end of the day and sure enough, I caught that fish on that same spot, whether or not it was the same one, I don't know. But then from then on, it started happening pretty often because I, I don't know if it was just the timing of the year, but uh, shortly after that, I got the gill 
or I don't, I'm still trying to remember if I got the gill first or not, but regardless, <laughs> I started throwing that gill afterwards and, uh, I, I stuck like a five and a half and some three and a halfs all just right in a row on this point. And I was blown away by that. And my son was really little and he was with me and like, just seeing those giant fish, he was in awe. So it, it happened pretty quick. And then, you know, you'll always have those little lulls, no matter how much you have your gear dialed in or whatever and understand the fish, but it, uh, it definitely has been going pretty solid since. Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it, it sounds and it definitely looks like looking, looking through your Instagram page and stuff. Do you remember when like everybody talks about how, how much drawing power the 250 has and like how, how awesome of a bait it is. Do you remember like your first couple casts with that baits and, and what that was like to see? That one was a little bit more frustrating when I first got it. Um, <laughs> because I, I had some, some fish that like, I didn't think existed in some of those lakes come out for yeah, that dude. thing. And like, they would, they would fire up on the bait and like, some of them even hit the thing and I could not figure out how those fish could hit that bait and not get hooked. But I actually, at that point I was kind of chatting with Oliver and I, and he gave me a couple points and literally I, I can't, I think it was the next day or, or a couple days later I went out and I was doing kind of exactly what he said. And I caught the first fish on that thing. And then that was kind of how I got that bait dialed in actually. And, uh, as far as cadence goes, um, because like we talked about earlier, reels make a huge, huge difference. Like you can see a guy doing something with a certain bait. And if you have a faster or slower reel than him, you may not get that bait to act the same way. So that's, that's like something I'm also very, very dialed in with is my, my retrieve speed on my reels and the amount of line that's on them and the size and all that stuff. It all, it all comes into, to, uh, affecting that bait. It's it's funny that you touched on it being frustrating because it that's just that's the only way to describe it. If 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 your experience was like mine, which it sounds like it a hundred percent was, like you have fish coming out that you didn't even know your lake grew. Like the, you you never even heard of people catching that big of fish. And it's also funny that you talked about that you had Oliver um, kind of give you some pointers and 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 tell you a little bit because I remember making a post on Facebook and it was like super basic intro beginner post i'm like uh does anybody is anybody always see a lot of fish follow their depths 250 and how do you get those fish to bite and obviously uh as most people are everybody is kind of an internet jackass and like oh yeah that happens all the time well you just got to keep casting and stuff and butch actually commented on the post and he's like he's like how's it going adrian he's like uh PM me your your phone number and I'll give you a call tomorrow and we'll talk about it. And I was like 17 at the time and I I I definitely knew who Butch was and I was just like in awe. Like I I went to school the next day and my my one buddy who's who is who is really big into bass fishing, he knew of Butch like just seeing the pictures and stuff on on social media. And I was like, dude, Butch Brown commented on my post yesterday. He's like, oh, that's so sick. And then I was like, and he's going to call me tonight. And like, we're going to talk. And my buddy's like, no, you're kidding. And like, I showed him the comment and everything and uh, and the messages. And he's like, that is so sweet. And I want to say we talked on the phone for probably like 15, 20 minutes. And he was, 
the the information he had obviously was a little bit more towards those Cali fish, but it was definitely stuff that I could transfer into to my style of fishing here. And I remember it probably was like a week later and I caught upwards of a 20 inch smallmouth on my depths 250 and i was just like wow you know going back to confidence i don't know if that phone call if i like pulled in like crazy valuable information which i'm sure i did or if it was just like oh my gosh i just talked to butch brown and he just told me this stuff like i feel so confident in this bait now i just i don't know what it is but i i ended up catching a lot of fish on that pink uh it was a special edition 250 so this 250 had like a ball bearing in it and it would kind of like wiggle when it fell down it's like a uh, there's a name for it jason carroll and i talked about it it's like a uh rattle fall or something. it's something something weird not crazy hard to find but it's also not like crazy common and i ended up selling that bait to a buddy and luckily um i i know the guy who owns it and i think i'm gonna get that bait back because it's just a hot pink cotton candy 250 and i caught so many fish on it up at home and i i want to fish it so bad <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I know the one you're talking about. I've never actually owned that one myself. Shutterfall. Shutterfall is what yeah, it's called. Yeah, yeah, there you go. It, I don't know. At, the, at that point in time, I had no idea what it was. I, it's funny because I actually got that bait from a guy in Canada, and I wanted to touch on it when you talked about it earlier, how some of those 250s nosed up what, kind of when you would retrieve them. This guy took lead strips and, Dude, I kid you not, there was probably like half an ounce of lead in that front uh, where like the SK bills are tucked in there. Yeah. It, it In that nose cavity right there, there was a lot of lead strips in there. And this this thing would just sit parallel, like it would sink super uniform straight down. It would swim all the way back. You could count it down and it would just, it would stay down the whole way. It was a, such a super sick bait. And then the guy I sent it to, the guy, my friend I sold it to, he ended up not liking that and he ended up ripping out all the lead weights out of the nose i'm like son of a bitch dude that was like a cheat code like that thing swam so good for my area yeah they have those little tuning weights i actually need to order some more of those i ended up misplacing the ones i had but those they they definitely make it sink a little faster but they keep it nice and stable and you can kind of get really fast with that bait if you want to yeah it funny you just talked about misplacing your tuning weights because I bought like a lot of DRT accessories uh, in the spring and I don't know how, but I've lost everything. So I just had to order new lips and stuff to air yesterday. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I don't know how it happens. I have a tendency to stick them in my pocket and then forget about it. And they end up falling out somewhere in the wash or something. Um, I've, I've lost more than my fair share of them. Yeah. It, they just, they just disappear. They're made just to disappear. <laughs> I swear. I'm glad um, they're a lot more available now because it was a little tough yeah. to get all that stuff for a while. I know. Um, in DRT USA, I, it's probably a little bit different for you all the way up there, but like DRT USA, they literally, I ordered like on on maybe like a Wednesday and it was literally in my mailbox on a Friday. Like it was quick. It was like Jimmy John's. It was super fast, super freaky quick. <laughs> yeah, they are pretty quick with that stuff for me as well. Um I ordered a bunch of their mono recently and it, I think it came within three days. So I was pretty yeah, stoked about a, that. Yeah. That's a good thing to branch off of. What, what are your setups? Um, I know Frank kind of talked about your rods a little bit and that was something that I had put on the questions that I want to talk to you about. What are your setups for, for your style of fishing? So um, I've gone through kind of a bunch of different rods that I built over the years. Um, 
you know, I've been, I think I was building rods since like before 2008. Cause I remember sent, sending a few to a, a famous uh, fly fishing guide, but bass rods and swim bait rods. I didn't really start building those until the last, I don't know, maybe like 2018 probably is when I started doing that. Um, but currently right now I actually only bring five rods with me. Um, I've got a North Fork composites, uh, blank that i've cut down to seven foot eight inches um and it's got like a drt style handle on it the artex style handle um and that's rated four to 16 ounces that's my ghost mother and and when i was throwing the hinkle that was uh that was what i threw on that thing a lot it also plays well for like the bigger soft baits like the um the 247 from defiant um and then from there i go down i got a eight foot um it's rated half to eight ounces it's another north fork composites blank and that's my soft bait rod it's uh that is by far the best soft bait rod i've ever ever used um it is crazy light the action is perfect um it's got the right amount of backbone without being too stiff i uh i pulled that 10.8 out of the pads with that thing this year um so it's it's definitely definitely got some big fish um and then going down from there, let's see, I got a seven foot ten, um, and that one's rated up to six ounces. Another North Fork Composites blank, and that one's kind of based off the Artex R2. Um, one of the guys actually from, he's kind of with DRT. Um, I'm not going to name his name just in case, but uh, he uh, he gave me some of the specs on like the handle lengths and stuff like that um, because I was really really liking those Artex rods and wanted to get them because I was such a big fan of the DRT stuff, but you know. In order to get them here in the U.S., you'd end up paying ridiculous money, and it, even one. if you even if you could get them. <laughs> yeah, I saw one the other day, and it was three grand. It was shipped from Japan, <laughs> yep. but it was three grand. I'm like, oh my gosh! I'm like, yeah, that's cool. Like, I would love one, but not three grand. Love one? <laughs> no, yeah, definitely not. Definitely not a three grand rod, but they are uh, definitely pretty cool how they've done it. Uh, the actions too are just tailored perfectly to the baits. And, you know, all these rods, I've kind of, like, custom cut the blank to to get the action I want. You can change a lot in a blank by taking an inch or two off the tip. So I've kind of messed with that a bit. Um, and then I actually recently fell through a bridge <laughs> at uh, the wood broke, and I broke my TK rod. But that one, was oh. a, uh, <clears throat> that one was a North Fork Composites as well. It was rated up to two and a half ounces. It would throw a little bit more if you wanted to throw a canine on it. You could throw it on there, but it was kind of like maxed out. But that one was, uh, what was that one? I think it was seven foot ten as well. And a sweet little rod. But it was. That sounds gnarly. Yeah, it was a. It was a pretty frustrating. I got I got another blank on the way so I can rebuild it. But, but uh. (laughs) that one uh that one was a sweet one it's definitely landing some big fish this year let's see and then going on from there let's see what else do i got i've got another one that's eight foot one and it's rated up to three ounces that's kind of like uh another one i kind of use for the tiny clash and stuff like that smaller glides and then um let's see what else do i got another one that's seven eleven. And it's rated up to eight ounces, and that's kind of like my wake and glide rod. Um, I have a few others laying around, but those are the main ones I bring with me. Right, yeah. 
what uh what re are you i mean are you fishing these like with all the same reel or you got like shamanus and daiwas on some of them or what's the real setups for them so i've got two tatula 300s i run um and those are kind of like for the four to 16 ounce um rod and then also my soft bait rod um both of them have the drt uh, 140 to 150 millimeter single handle on them uh, i really like that handle for those big baits and then I've got an Antares uh, Monster Drive XG DC. I run that for my canine and uh, smaller wakes and stuff like that. Uh, Scorpion, Shimano Scorpion DC. It's the newer version. I think it's like the 2021 or whatever they call it. That thing's actually a pretty sweet reel for the price. Um, you can hold 20 pound on there, no problem. Throw canines, TKs. Uh, smaller wakes and stuff like that. And then what else do I got? Um, uh, Tatula 200. Um, I'm really a big fan of those Tatula reels. If I only had to choose one reel, it would be those uh, those Daiwa Tatulas. I mean, hands down, some of my favorite reels. Yeah. It's, but, there's, there's a lot of Shimano guys who... When that Tat Tat uh, 300 came out in Shimano, it didn't have the K300 yet. A lot of those guys started to switch over, and a lot of those guys were like, "Holy shit, this thing is kick ass!" Like yeah. I, I, I like I like Daiwa. Um, I have a Daiwa CT Tat CT. Nothing, nothing crazy. Obviously, not a big swim bait reel, but that thing is bulletproof. I I can go from fishing uh, a weightless Senko to fishing, you know, an ounce. Uh, or go from fishing an ounce lipless crankbait to a weightless Senko without even touching the thing, and then it'll cast just as far both times. Like they are, they are slick little reels. I need to pick up a, a three hundred size, whether whether it's a Tat or a K. I don't know yet, but they're they're pretty close to the same price. I think there's like maybe like a ten dollar difference in them. Yeah, there's not much. I've had the the Shimano three hundred K as well. Um, it's a great reel. The one thing I don't like about Shimano is you have to open up the side of them to adjust the the little pins. Yeah. And those those things tend to wear out. I had a oh yeah, I had a brand new Monster Drive uh Scorpion 300. And throwing the bigger baits with that thing, I, I was burning up those little buttons inside like really really quickly and I don't run a lot of them. I think I've maybe had 3 of them out, but it was Damn. creating like this dust inside the reel and then it would just start grinding a little bit killer reel other than that i ended up getting rid of mine um and i'm i'm actually contemplating going back to exclusively daiwa just because i love the all black and i just there's something about those things the, the more you use them the smoother they get and i found that that to be the opposite with all the shimanos yeah, i've had in recent years dude. like the jdm shimanos are definitely better um and i had oh yeah i forgot i had a the shimano um calcutta conquest dc 200 and that's what i caught that 10.8 on this year killer reel the the main reason i got rid of that thing was i injured my shoulder and i was really struggling to hold my rods in my right arm mm-hmm. so i was actually at, i can cast and, and reel with either hand it doesn't affect me one way or another but just that shoulder injury really kind of cost me a lot as far as like what i could use as far as gear um, even some of the baits I could toss this year and my time on the water, I wasn't able to fish as much as I wanted to, but 
but that's kind of the rundown on the the reels and rods all of them have drt handles on them if you don't have one don't buy one or you're going to want them on every reel <laughs> there's just <laughs> something about them i had the go the where are they, the gomexes, gomexes. Or whatever they're, yeah. yeah they're they're decent but there's something i'm a i've been a machinist for a long time too so something about those drt reels they just speak to me so or the the handles i mean um, right but then uh lines a lot of my line i've been running this year has been the nogales verivas um dead or alive uh, nylon that stuff for the price is unbelievable um i've used a ton of different lines i've gone through almost everything you can imagine out there and that's been one of my favorites as far as fluorocarbon goes, I don't use anything other than the Seagar Abrazex. Um, and I usually just have a bulk 1,000-yard spool of 20-pound of that on hand and run that for my soft baits mostly now. But, um, yeah, I've found a lot of benefits to using nylon-type lines this year, um, especially with glides and a lot of the DRT stuff. And it seems like my landing ratio definitely went up, too. Um, that little bit of extra stretch sometimes is a benefit, even though my rods are not super stiff, they're fairly parabolic. So it just kind of plays together really well. Yeah, that's, um, I, I don't know if you know firsthand, but Leviathan uses the NFC blank. So they're, they're yep. probably pretty relatively close to the same thing. And, uh, I was fishing braid when I first started using them and I, I, I mean, I loved it. And then I, I went to, uh, to Copoly and I haven't had any problems with it, but I've, I've always, always fish braid, uh, swim bait fishing. And so it was, it was a little bit of a change of pace to, to be fishing a parabolic rod like that and then having stretch relative to what it is with braid. And that was a little bit of a learning curve. Is that nylon? Like, well, how would you rate that stretch to it? Is it, is it more than, uh, mono or is it just kind of in the middle of them all? Um, that, that nylon actually seems to have a very similar stretch to fluorocarbon and that's why I liked it. Um, it, it doesn't have too much stretch. Um, there definitely are nylons that have way too much stretch for my liking. I like, I've always liked the, the feel of fluorocarbon cause it's just got a tiny bit of give to it, but not so much that it kind of defeats some of the action you're trying to put into the bait. Yeah, and so that Nogales is um, kind of like a happy ground for me with that stuff, and it's super smooth too. Like a- after casting fluorocarbon for a little while, it starts going through the guides and making that horrible sound, and I'm really super picky about that stuff. You, after, I mean, I re- retie after every hour, roughly, give or take, and then I also every time I uh, rig up a rod. I cut a full length of a full rod length of line off before I'll tie my bait on just so it's always fresh because the, the line that's, you know, about the length of your rod is what's getting the most abuse um, mm-hmm. when you're casting. And then, you know, obviously if I run across any bushes or anything to abrade it, I definitely cut it off and retie pretty regularly. Are you running primarily like 20 pounds, 17 pound, or is it just all over the board for when you're fishing like your TK rod relative to your, what was it? Your three to 16 ounce rod. Um, so I've, I've kind of narrowed that down. I used to run a lot more line sizes, but now for the most part, um, that Verivas comes in some kind of odders, odd sizes that like other brands don't have. 
So for the TK, I run 18. And then if I want to, I don't feel like I'm losing anything throwing the canine or, you know, some of my midsize wakes on that same 18 pound test. And then the majority of what I run on the canine is 20 pound. And then I'll run 30 when I run the ghost and some of those bigger glides. But then fluorocarbon, it's just always the 20 pound for the soft baits. It seems to be kind of the best of of all worlds for me anyway yeah is your guys's water super clear like do you can you i know some guys are super anal about keeping it keeping it below 25 if they can because uh their their fish might be able to see that thicker diameter line or do you feel like you can get away with running that stuff just because I guess it also comes down to preference on if you think your fish even notice or care that if, if there's that bigger line pulling that bait past them. I mean, I fish some lakes that you can see down 30 feet in. Um, so there's some really, really clear ones. And generally I'm on pretty clear lakes with, you know, eight plus feet of visibility. Um, I haven't noticed the fish being line shy, um, but generally I'm throwing a big enough bait that I think that's all they're focused on. And once I get a fish's attention, I try to hold its attention on that bait. So the, I don't, you know, sit and pause the bait and wait for them to, you know, swim around it a bunch of times. I keep it moving pretty quick. They're either going to bite it or they're not. And uh, I've kind of learned over the years that stopping the bait a lot of times can kind of defeat them and they'll just turn around and go away because it's not trying to get away from them so i don't tend to let them see the line most of the time they're just focused on that bait so i don't i don't worry about it too much yeah i i mean i i'm in the same boat with you i won't i won't lie i'm i'm not gonna say lazy but like i i don't necessarily cut my tag ends like super super short and it's it's because like if that fish didn't see the first 30 yards of line go past it, why the hell is that little tag end going to scare him? Like, exactly. That's yeah. that my thought. <laughs> and like, I mean, like you said, you don't really pause the bait. Like uh, personally, my style of fishing, I am relying on their instinct to just chase this naturally looking bait down and just kill it just because it looks like such an easy meal. Like you're not, they're not, you're not giving them time to be like, Oh, he's fishing 20 pound, 20 pound, like nylon. He should be, he should be fishing 15 pound. Like I'm just going to swim away And it. It just, it really comes down to your style. I don't know many guys who, who fish their stuff slow enough for that, but I, I definitely know there's guys out there who, who do think that. Yeah. I, I think winter time when I'm fishing slower um, and the, the fish are a lot more lethargic, they seem to, they seem to kind of follow the bait along for a lot longer period of time before eating it. So at that time, you know, I might think a little bit more about using something that's more transparent, like the, the, that's where I guess most of the time I'm using fluorocarbon anyway. So it seems like that helps maybe a little bit, but other than that, I don't think they care. I mean, I don't cut my tag in super short either because I think you want to have something in case the line slip or the knot slips yep. just a little bit um, yeah. just to save it. So, um, touching, touching off what you said, like compare adding to, like, like you said, you have lakes that have 30 feet of visibility and, and sometimes like in the winter time and probably in the summertime too, you can see these fish follow it from the beginning of your cast all the way until you know, it's, it's 10 feet from the boat. 
does that alter the the way you're swimming these baits or is it just if if you're on a pattern you just stick with it no matter if there's fish following it like right behind it or how how do you go about that personally um when i see a fish following the bait i try to kind of read its um its demeanor um if the fish doesn't look like it's that interested in the bait um i don't get too excited about it but i do always try to kind of make the bait look like it's fleeing from the fish um that seems to work really well with me the the time when it's different is when the water's a little bit colder <clears throat> like there's a couple of fish this year i caught um a seven pound nine ounce or actually i watched eat um the canine that thing i was dead walking it and i watched the fish come up below the bait and i could tell by the way its gills were flaring its fins that it was definitely wanting to eat it so i <clears throat> i actually paused the bait for a split second then and it just sucked the thing right in but yeah typically if i see them from a long ways out i try to take the bait away from them i'll I'll give it maybe a, a split second pause so they can kind of get it cl- get close to it, and then I'll take it away from them again. And they're either going to eat it or they're not. Um, you can't get them all, unfortunately. Otherwise, I'd have a lot more double digits to my name. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's like, dude, you took the words out of my mouth. For anybody who, <clears throat> I mean, anybody who's listening, if you guys have never like sat down, um, so it was super mind blowing to me to to hear about somebody talk about um fish uh, like how the fish is acting like fish tendencies um i didn't hear about it until like my senior year of high school and of of all things i was at an ice fishing uh big tournament and like this guy was we were having like a little little round table and this guy was telling us what he knows about these bluegill and he's like you can you can read a fish he's like if you see their fins start to go all crazy and you see their gills puff out like you know that fish is is like super aggressive it's very intrigued with what's in front of it and dude when i learned that okay i learned it in december and it just it stuck with me all the winter and i remember uh we were fishing this reed bed like right after ice out and i'm fishing a big 10 inch trout glide and i remember whipping this thing up there and just fishing it super hard back like uh, like a jerk bait and this fish followed it up and, and i could tell like I mean, I, I'm sure you can you can relate to this too. Like when you fish it like kind of fast, and then the fish starts to starts to like turn away, and then you kind of slow it down, but you're still giving it that erratic motion, and they're like, oh, oh, okay, I, I'm I'm interested now, and they'll turn back on it. And if you can read a fish, and if you have enough room to to work the fish too, that that's a big part. Like, I feel like you can get a lot of fish to bite. You you can change a fish from a follower to a biter. I would say probably more than half i'd probably say like 60 percent of the time if if you're able to to read and see how intrigued they are with what with what you're presenting them definitely definitely um and then now with the the eight trap too you know i know musky guys have been doing that forever but that's kind of becoming bigger and bigger with bass fishermen um i've been blown away by the wolf packs of like six to double digits that i've had at the boat and one of those fish, a lot of times, will end up eating the bait. Um, I had that a couple of times this year um, with, I mean, a giant bait. We're talking the ghost, uh, eight trapping that thing. And my son got to witness it a couple of times. It was pretty awesome. Um, and two of them would park up underneath the boat with their noses sticking out as I'm drifting along. And the other ones would be circling the bait. And it seems like the ones that park under the boat are usually the ones that wait for their moment and they attack the bait. Um, yeah they're like analyzing it 
Yep. Yep. All the all the younger ones are sitting down there chasing it around and then the, the bigger energy. ones. Yep. The bigger ones just kind of sit and wait for their, their time. Now this this might I mean not it's not a weird question. Do you practice like do you practice your eight traps at all? Or do you just is when it's game time you just it's a make or break moment. Like you just you kinda put your rod tip in the water in and you do like what what everybody sees in those in those Japanese videos where there's those guys are doing those big figure eight motions and they're doing a really herky jerky, you know, rod tip in the water, just working it like that. Or do you kinda it's gonna sound weird, or do you just kinda like sit at the boat ramp before you go in and you just kinda dick around with 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 that muscle memory, I guess? No, I, I typically do it when it's in the moment. Um, and I, I always have polarized sunglasses on. In fact, like this year, I or no, actually, I think it was last year. Whenever those uh, bait Underground electric um, glasses came out, I got a pair of those just because I like the lighter colored lenses for, for low light situations. So I can see the fish from a long ways away and I can kind of tell what they're doing. And it also helps when you're doing the eight trap because you can see that fish kind of tracking along behind it. So good polarized sunglasses definitely help with it. But yeah, I just kind of try to make it look as realistic as possible and I'll slow it down every once in a while. I kind of make it dart around like it's looking around to see where that fish is. And generally that's when they eat it. Yeah, I got to, I got to experience it uh, a couple of weeks ago. It was with a pike, but it was the coolest thing. I mean, this pike followed for probably 10 to 15 seconds and I'm like, Oh my gosh, like, I've always I've always played the scenario out in my head, but like actually seeing a fish, maybe maybe aggressive isn't the right word, but keyed in on it. That that'd be a better word. That just is keyed in on this bait and just wants to just wants this thing dead. And I was like, oh my gosh, like that. It's so badass to see in person. Like in video, it's super cool. But when you get to live it and you're watching this fish just just follow this bait in a big figure eight motion, it's just, it's it's just the baddest badass thing ever. It's so cool. I 100% agree with that. It's it's pretty awesome. First time I saw it, I was just blown away. Yeah, and like that was my first time. And after it happened, I was like, I don't even care that that fish didn't eat. Like, I I know that that it's not a scenario that's gonna get to be played out every trip or every couple trips. But I have confidence now that not that I didn't know what to do before, but I can I know that I can read a fish enough to keep it intrigued with what i'm doing for 10 seconds and i mean in some of those videos that you see it doesn't even take 10 seconds it, it'll be like the first swoop in that figure eight and that fish will already have hooks on that bait like they'll just come up and t-bone that thing right away yep yeah it's it's probably you know as, as exciting as swim baiting is already it's probably the most exciting part of it is having them eat that close like that it's uh it's exciting and scary at the same time because now you got to make sure you don't pull the hooks out which i've done a oh. couple of times dude i'm so notorious for that my my best friend has watched me do that i don't know how many times out on his boat like i'll see a fish eat and just it you just get super giggity giggy and you <laughs> sweep into it right away and you're like you just watch the bait just leave that fish's mouth and you're like son of a bitch i can't believe i just did that like i told myself i wasn't going to do that five fish ago and here i here i just did it six time <laughs> yeah one thing i i've been pretty good about like with the treble hook baits um when i was swinging flies for steelhead those fish hit with so much aggression sometimes that you'd break them off setting the hook. So I had a lot of times just slowly raise the rod so that 
was kind of built into me. So now like when I'm fishing treble hooks, I don't set the hook hard. I just reel into them and just lightly sweep up. And if you're running good, sticky, sharp hooks, um, it doesn't take much pressure to put that thing deep enough into them to pin them. But now the, the other scenario is the soft baits, you know, that one, I definitely reel down try to take the stretch out and jack them. But it's uh it's it's tough to train yourself to do because you get so excited in the moment and you just want to hook that fish and you just lean back into them and if your gear's not right you'll break them off pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think I think we've had people wait long enough. We're about an hour into it, so you're you're a guy in in the state of Washington. Uh, how many how many double digits do you have in your I game? Have- I have three currently. Um, I've got a 10.6, a 10.8, and then an 11.4. Jeez, that's just so crazy. So crazy to hear. In chronological order, how does that go? Like, wait, what? So, so 2019, I think it was. Um, yeah, 2019, I caught the 10.6. Um, and that one was like first thing in the morning. I had fished all night long had an insane night already and then i mean i i had like a high five and a i want to say it was almost a sick another six in the live well and i generally don't keep fishing the live well but that night was just so crazy i wanted to get a couple pictures with some big fish and then i caught the 10 six and so i dumped the smaller of the fives out and i had a 10 six and basically a six in there and then probably half a dozen casts later, roughly, I stuck a seven. And so obviously I had to kick that. I don't have a giant live well, so I had to kick that other one out. So I had a seven and a 10-6 in the live well at the same time. And oh then God. go another year forward, 2020, I stuck the, the uh, 11-4. Um, I had this thought of this lake for a long time and i had been talking about it with one of my friends and he was just very doubtful that it had big fish in it and he thought i was kind of wasting my time and i was like man it's got all the right characteristics um and so i had a very very short day because you know here in october like a lot of places it gets dark very very early so i head out to the lake and i'm fishing the wade hogs because that that year i'd really really done well with the wade hogs and uh threw it down this tree and I was waking it along just super slow. And I I saw this white belly coming up and it barely fit through the branches and I could see the massive eyeballs. And I didn't realize how big the fish was. I just knew it was big for that lake. And then it, then the surface exploded as it ate my bait. And uh, I was fishing a Dobbin 795, which is kind of considered a light action rod for that bait with a 20 pound, uh, it was Suffolk uh, Advanced Mono and hooked that fish, had to pull her out of the tree um, with a treble hooked bait and got her in the net. And instantly, I mean, I knew it was a double digit. I didn't realize it was 11-4. And when I put it, I actually called a buddy, had him come to the lake to video everything and take pictures because I didn't think anybody would believe that I caught an 11-4. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we got... We got three scales on that thing, so it weighed eleven point. 
what was it? 11.22 in one of the pictures, 11.28 in one of the other pictures. And I, I think the third scale said just a little bit less than those two. So regardless, it was an 11 pound, four ounce fish, um, weight on three scales. The one thing I totally regret about that fish is I never put it on the board because, or taped the belly. Cause I was just so in shock about it that number one, I wanted to get the fish back in the water and let her go. And number two, just being so in shock about that fish, I just totally spaced. So I've kind of taken measurements off of some, some of the pictures trying to roughly guess what she was, but she's somewhere around 24 inches. But then, uh, then one of my goals for a couple of years now has been to catch two doubles in one season, which I haven't successfully done yet, but I've caught a nine, let's see, what was it? A nine, nine and a, the 11, four in the same season. Um, oh. and, and then, uh, this year, another one of my goals was to catch a double digit in the springtime. Cause I feel like they're harder to catch in the spring. They're, they're more, you know, filled up and stuff at that time, with, um, mm-hmm. just full bellies, full of eggs, but they're not as focused on, uh, eating your bait at that time either. So this year I was able to catch that 10, eight, um, I'm trying to think I, I should have wrote it down. I don't remember exactly what month it was. I th- want to say it was either May or June when I caught that fish. But yeah, I had been fishing this lake and just kind of creeping along doing my thing. Um, threw a cast back in the pads, way all the way back to the bank. And she ate almost instantly in there. And I got a cast to catch too. And you can see my hesitation because it hit it with so much force. It knocked the slack. So I had to reel it fast, set the hook, and had to pull her through a bunch of pads. Two trout guys actually watched me land that fish. And when I got her in the net, I looked down and they're just like kind of cheering me on as I'm fighting it. And I look down and they're like, how big is it? And I'm like, oh, this thing's a double digit. I'm pretty sure. And I hold it up and I go, yeah, it's a double digit for sure. And then a little while later, I throw it on the Brecknell and 10-8. But yeah, that thing ran into a log even and I had to kind of give her a little slack to to ease off the log. So it was pretty pretty crazy. Um, I'm surprised I stayed as calm as I did with that one. Dude, that's that is just crazy. What was? Would you catch the last one on what bait? Um, that was on the seven-inch citizen. Okay, so. it. Uh, I I talked I talked yesterday when um when I had a guy on here and I was talking about like the citizen obviously catches fish everywhere. It's a super super really just fishy bait, but you guys in the PNW like you guys put that thing to work. The citizen and the battle shad like you guys catch. Oh yeah, a lot of fish on those baits, especially like f- only from what I've seen this year, because I didn't, I didn't know a lot of, didn't know or follow a lot of you guys before, you know, just two, three months ago. And from what I've seen, like that is one fishy bait for where you guys are. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's kind of funny cause you know, obviously we don't have shad here, but it kind of fits some of the other profiles like panfish, crappie. Um, <clears throat> so I think that's what they, they determined it is, but yeah, I mean, I I've caught some giants on that thing. I caught a seven fifteen on on that bait this year as well as as long as well as like countless sevens and sixes. I kind of forget how many sixes I've caught this year. Dude, that is just so bad. It's it's badass to hear because my PB is a five nine, and just to hear like you guys talk about like 
even like when I see Frank in them like post post pictures and they're like, oh, I only caught this one. It was only a six four tonight, and I'm like, only a six four, dude. Like, <laughs> shit, I'll take that. Like, I, I will not. I will not be bashful. I would take one of those for a night. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, you know, they're not plentiful up here by any means. But um, if you do something different than what the other guys are doing, you'll you'll run into them. I mean, I've got, I've also got a nine three. I caught on the DRT K nine last year. Um, so I've got a nine three, a nine nine, a ten six, a ten eight, and an eleven four um, since twenty nineteen, and lots and lots of sevens. Um, That's so sick, and, dude. And then just like last week, I guess it was I caught an eight two. Um, but yeah, there's there's big fish if you can find them. Um, but I think everybody should go fish other states because it's it's really <laughs> difficult here. Have have you okay so we'll we'll i guess to start off what's what's washington state record uh 1253 so Holy shit. i was uh just a little over a pound off of the record was that like you know like a 1973 state record or had been fairly mm, it was 2016 actually um wow. and w- with 100% certainty i have seen three if not four or five fish that would beat that state record. Um, I've, I've gotten fairly good at judging them. Um, and usually I actually underjudge the fish I catch until I put them on the scale and kind of realize they're bigger. I, that eight I caught the other night, I thought was only a seven. And then, uh, <laughs> and then uh, it's, I just, I think it's just something my brain does. Cause I'm, I'm just not ready to believe it until I see it on the scale. Cause that's kind of what determines what the weight actually is. And this year I bought that Brecknell just so I could have, you know, a really, really accurate scale just so that when I catch these giants, there's not any discrepancy in it. That thing repeats within a quarter ounce. So it's a uh, super accurate, but yeah, for sure. Have, have you seen, so when you, when you first caught that, that uh, double digit, that 10, did you see an influx of, well, I guess, did you post that fish right away or did you sit on it for a month or a couple of weeks before posting about it? I think I posted it fairly quick. Um, I, was, I wasn't really like big into the social media thing. So like I didn't post a lot of stuff. I didn't have a ton of followers at the time, but then I guess a bunch of people saw that thing and they started paying a little bit more attention. But like, you know, anybody can have a fluke and catch one double digit. You know, that's kind of, something i've said but then when you start doing it repeatedly i think that's when people start paying attention a little bit more and uh you know so i think in the last like couple of years putting up those couple of nines and the the three double digits and then you know all these other sevens and stuff it seems like i've gotten a little bit more attention on that side which you know it's i guess it makes you feel a little bit cool but at the same time i've I've kind of always just tried to be one to kind of stay in the shadows a little bit. Um, I've, I fish by myself pretty much all the time other than with my son. Um, and the main reason for that is I just, I fish solo that way. I cannot blame my failures on anyone and no one else can claim my success. Um, and it's just kind of been a thing for me. Uh, I don't even know what started. I think probably the steelhead thing because I was all about being solo on a river too. So, I but. like that. I like what you just said. That's that's a 
kick-ass quote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a, a couple of people have kept, you know, kind of saying, well, you're, you're fishing by yourself because you're trying to hide something or you're, uh, you're just selfish and you don't want to share it. And it's like, no, I fish by myself most of the time because I just like to veg out and focus. Like I, I'm really like into picking apart every little thing that I'm doing out there and, and what's going on with the uh, weather, the environment, the plant life, the birds, everything, just because it all plays a part. And uh, that's kind of why I think I'm able to do what I do with these big fish is because I don't do the same thing everybody else does. I try to do something completely different. And uh, it, whether it's boat positioning or anything like that, how the how I put the sun, how I put the wind, um, the times of day I fish certain things, those are kind of the things that I think have helped me be successful in this trophy bass hunting stuff. Yeah, for sure, especially when when you do start picking apart all that stuff and it just it goes all into one big picture. I mean, obviously it it definitely has has worked for you from just just listing off your accomplishments earlier in those your best five and stuff. Since since you caught that first double digit, have you seen like you talked about how a lot more people had followed you and, and started kind of maybe started keeping tabs on you and, and what you were doing and how you were fishing and stuff. Have you seen like an influx of of guys like fishing those baits that you had success on or maybe trying to replicate what you did around that same time, uh, same time of the year or just anything that, that you think that they kind of maybe, maybe saw you doing they're like, Oh my gosh, like I need to be doing that because, because Daryl had really good success on it. Maybe a few. Um, I know a couple of, of local guys, um, but like the Wade Hogs and stuff, um, that one was kind of made popular by a guy up here named Dan Hadrill. And that guy's been fishing that stuff for, I think he's probably one of the earliest guys I know of fishing the, the toxic stuff up here. I know Frank's buddy, Corey Ishler, um, he had a wake and crank pretty early on too. Um, uh, I don't even remember what timeline that was, but I do remember seeing a post that he made about when he had lost one. And then uh, I think Caesar ended up hooking him up, which was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, probably some of it, I kind of keep my stuff under wraps for, for as long as I can. There's, there's fish I haven't even posted and I don't throw out my catch uh, or cast to catch videos anymore just because I don't want to blow up the lakes. Um, I go out there to get away from people, not to bring everybody there. And a lot of people have the assumption that I've caught all these fish out of the same lake. And that's far from the truth. I've caught all the doubles out of different lakes and uh, the nines have come out of different lakes as well. And, uh, you know, there's a probably a dozen lakes I jump around to um, just trying to time it out. And I can kind of, gauge what's going on with the fish by what i see as far as followers or you know catches whatever like that and so that might key me into what one lake's doing at that time and i might stick it out for a few days but i try not to pound them some people will sit and pound the same lake over and over and over again and you know by all means they they can do that it's just not my thing um i think you you somewhat can train fish i don't, I don't think you can fully train them because swim baits are so realistic looking but I think like that, speaking of the Wade hogs, for example, like the wake bait bite 
for myself and a lot of the guys that have been doing it for a while was just not as good this year. And it, it's, it, to me, it seems like because that was such a big thing the last couple of years, so many people had caught these fish and kind of seemed like they were leery on biting a wake bait. I mean, obviously wake bait fish were caught, but it just wasn't what it was the first couple of years that I had that bait. So yeah. whether or not it's the pressure or not, I don't know for sure. But I think they definitely kind of put a side note and start to start to take caution when something's uh, plopping around on the water. And I think that's why different styles of, of those topwater baits, like the crawlers and stuff are, are starting to be uh, like a hot commodity because that's something completely different. It, it does. Yeah. It's not like a wake bait at all. And it's funny that you say that because Marshall and I talked about that. He's like, if you eat a cheeseburger and and you get your jaw with a hook through it, he's like, you're He's like, you're probably not going to stop eating cheeseburgers. He's like, but you're going to be you're going to be weary of whenever you see one. He's like, yeah, <laughs> if you see a hot dog, he's like, and and you eat 50 hot dogs throughout your lifetime and then you get one hook in another one. He's like, then you, you're kind of like, oh, OK, maybe it's just a fluke. Maybe it's the same thing with the hamburger. And then you kind of you kind of go through life not necessarily living scared but you're timid when that when that stuff crosses your path you're like okay i yep. i know i've done this my whole life and i've only had one bad experience but is is it worth me trying it again and i think that's like the best way to put it i feel like that's probably how a fish sees in that scenario also i definitely agree with that um and you know another another thing that that kind of reminds me of something i wanted to talk about is as boats you know, everybody wants the big fancy bass boat with all the electronics and all the bells and whistles and all that stuff. And they are awesome. I've been in a lot of them. But I think those are just, you know, obviously there's bass fishermen in them. And those guys are catching these fish from all different sizes of their life. Um, so they, I think, are more keyed into those bigger boats as being a threat. And so my boat is actually, it's very funny because I didn't even know of Butch's boat when I first built mine, but now it's almost identical as far as like the color and everything. Um, but that boat for me, it's hard for me to want to get anything different because those fish aren't afraid of it. Um, generally, they will come right up to it. And I've heard him talk about that too. And uh, it's something that, you know, they see a lot of the, the trout fishermen on these lakes and people in the smaller boats. <clears throat> and so I don't think there's much of a threat. Yeah. <clears throat> it's like once, I mean, I got to imagine the, like, it just, it's just, I, I relate this stuff to like how, how we see it. It's, it's no different from seeing like a plane up in the air, but you know, that one day you see a freaking UFO fly across your face, you're like, what the <laughs> hell is that thing? I mean, a it's not like a bass boat is a common occurring shape out in, in the wild. Like, they, there's it's nothing like that. But relative to if you have, like, kind of an older boat, it's kind of square, like, blocky shapes. It's, I mean, it, that can resemble a floating dock. Of, I mean, it just, it can, it's it's not unnatural relative to, seeing this spear-shaped thing floating above you're like what the hell is that <laughs> thing like that that thing just is completely out of the ordinary yeah and the sparkles and the and the glass <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff you know they're they're really sweet looking but they definitely give off a different uh uh profile than a small little aluminum boat 
and the the electronics too like i was just about to ask you about that i do have two graphs for my boat i have side scan and, and all that's down scan in the back and then in the front i have 2d but since i think early spring i have not had one piece of electronics on my boat um i don't i don't need them to catch the fish um they can help you find them, but I also think people get so locked into staring at those screens that they're missing everything else. And that's kind of why, like, I know tons of guys are doing great with uh, the live scope and, and uh, you know, the Lawrence version and then the Humminbird version. But for me, um, I've heard Butch talk about this. And then actually, I know a guy here who's like, he's been a stick. He's been around forever. Um, who's done some testing with the, the, forward-facing sonar and stuff and he'll shine a shine a group of fish and they'll swim off and it doesn't typically happen with the smaller fish you know they're not quite keyed into what the sonar ticking is any yet but i think as they get bigger and smarter they kind of associate that with a threat and so i don't have sonar on the boat and every big fish i've caught there hasn't been sonar on the boat when when i've caught them so yeah, I think if you're out there and you kind of have fish patterned, you you can turn your graphs off and you can uh, you can guess at what those fish are going to be doing, especially those bigger caliber fish. You can you have an idea of what what they're doing. Like if you're fishing ten feet of water, I I don't see a huge point in having graphs. Other the only reason I would ever have a graph on my boat is because depth and water water temp and yeah. I mean, if if you have Navionics on your phone, you don't you don't need depth. You have depth on your phone that you can check yeah. on. If if you don't have a decent idea how much line you have out and stuff, but it's just it's a trade off. I mean, guys like to like to watch catch fish and and they like seeing what's out there and they don't like wasting time. And if uh, I don't know, it's a, it's a middle ground for me because. I understand it and I understand why guys don't use it. Like it's like if you want to use it, use it. But I yeah, definitely yeah. think that those those older fish that have been caught probably when they were a little bit smaller, they have an idea what that ticking noise is in the water. They know that it's like it's going they know that it's a hamburger with a hook in it because they don't they've heard <laughs> that before and that was the last time they got caught, you know, two years ago and and I'm not messing with that thing because I see this thing flying past me that I haven't seen before. And I hear that ticking noise that just is giving me a bad vibe. I feel like. Yeah. One of my buddies, Eric, he got the, um, the Garmin live scope pretty quick when it came out. And honestly, it seemed like his fishing went backwards. Um, he would get so locked into seeing these fish and, and trying to catch them that he would miss the other opportunities. I think sometimes knowing the fish are there can, can hold you up um, even when they're not willing to bite. And so I'm always just moving, looking for those fish that are actively feeding because there, there could be one portion of the lake that has a big giant keyed in ready to eat. And uh, if you're not on that portion of the lake, you're not going to catch it obviously. And by the time you get there, if you're not fishing, you know, covering water, um, it could be turned off. Cause I found that there's very, very short windows on those fish feed. Um, and they eat big enough meals that they don't have to eat for a couple of days. So they're not always willing to eat. I've seen them one day and I can go back and see them a day or two in a row. And they just, they don't have the same mentality when they come out, even if it's a different bait or whatever, 
they just kind of look at it kind of lazily and then go right back to where they're holding. Right. So being, being in those places when they're fired up and, and making the right moves is kind of the key. I don't, I don't necessarily consider the way I fish fishing as much as it is hunting. Um, I don't always cast. Sometimes I'm just moving along, setting myself up for the next spot. So I think pan optics or just any forward facing sonar, I feel like that is is the same thing as bed fishing as far as like you see the fish and you're like, Oh, I'm gonna catch this damn fish and you sit there for three hours whereas you could you could cover uh, a mile of of shoreline because you're not you're not locked onto those fish you, like you just yeah. said you're hunting you're hunting you're not you're not just trying to quote unquote sight fish for these fish like when guys guys are bed fishing a lot of times they're just they're just doing it for fun but if they're like in tournaments and stuff they're bed fishing whereas they could be fishing you know a little bit deeper 20 yards offshore and they could be catching those bigger fish that haven't pushed up yet and it's just i don't know it's a trade-off like i said earlier but yeah it's hard Definitely. to say i guess yeah i know some some guys do very very well with it yeah it's like everybody it everybody's got their own cup of tea and yep. hey it's just if if you've had a good experience with it then then you enjoy it but if if like you said you've seen guys who who maybe um kind of take a step back in in their productivity of fishing then Obviously, uh, you don't want to fall victim to that same thing that happened to them, obviously. Yeah, definitely. I can um, see some, some advantages of it, but... Yeah. What, what, are your, uh, what, what are your favorite baits, and how do you like to apply them when you're out there? Or you can just make a short list, or you can list them all, however, however you want to go about it. I mean, some of my favorite baits, I guess, like the DRT stuff um, is a big one. Um, toxic baits, I, I love everything he's had. Um, unique baits, but those guys, um, Gene, he makes, he makes some killer swimming baits that are affordable for a lot of guys, and they get bit too. Um, I know those are starting to become bigger and bigger every year. Um, Donald Sanders out of California, he makes the DS Customs. Those, uh, I think those are some very underrated baits too. Um, those things get bit. They're different from everything else. A lot of guys, when they get them, they think that it doesn't swim true or whatever. It's got more of like a roll to it. And I personally don't care for baits that swim true. Um, they, they don't look like a wounded fish. You know, you see a wounded fish that's not swimming perfectly straight through the water. It's doing circles or going off to the side or whatever. And so I think that's, uh, that plays into it. Um, citizens, hog hunters. Um, Got to look behind me on my wall here and see what else I can name off. Piz makes some awesome baits. I don't have a ton of them, but like the creep and the little creep. And then, uh, you know, a lot of the stuff he's doing now is pretty awesome. PB, PB rat too is another one. But Dude, it's just... It's crazy. Like we call ourselves a very, you know, niche group of fishermen, but the catalog of baits that you like just garage made baits, dude, there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of them. And yeah, they're all okay. The age old debate of XYZ looks like ABC bait. Okay. The bait does not, I will put money that that bait does not swim like 
the the bait you claim it it looks like like there's so many baits out there they all swim so differently they they might have the same style of swim but one might have a lot more head hunt and body roll to it than this bait over here and i just like guys complain about there's too many bait builders and there's a lot out there don't get me wrong there's a lot of guys but everybody brings something different to the table whether they yeah. take inspiration <laughs> from this guy or that guy your formula is going to be different and just it's just going to be different even if it looks the same it's probably going to be quite a bit different once you swim it and put it in the water and the sounds too that's very very um obvious and and like the resin baits like the wake baits and stuff like that every guy's formula for the resin is different it seems like and so the sounds are are different even the paint affects the sounds so all those little things um I think play a big part in making them all different. And there's baits that I want to be very, very quiet and not make a lot of noise. Um, so having a couple of each is, is not a bad deal. I think people do get carried away and I've, I've done it. I mean, I had an insane, insane swim bait collection for a while. And this last year I kind of just started going, well, these are what I t typically fish when I bring them in the boat and I'm tired of bringing all this extra stuff. So I started getting rid of a few of them, but you know, they, uh, like the defiance too. That's another one I forgot about those, uh, those soft baits. Some people don't like the way they swim. They're like, Oh, there's not much to this thing, but I tell you what, they get bit and by some giants too. So Right, and that's like soft baits, completely like same side, but completely different. Like the formulas, whether they use uh, silicone or just plastic, like it's all different, dude. Just a little yep. bit of a tail difference, it'll just make it swim so much different. Less thump, more thump. It body shimmy. It's just, it's crazy. It's yeah. And I bet you, you probably. I mean, you you would touch that you're you're a machinist, so I mean, you know, like what a little bit of anything like a, a little bit cut off or a little bit added just has has an effect on stuff overall like it's it's i'm sure it's got to be the same exact thing especially when you're trying to move water and and, and crawl on top of the water and stuff it's always going to be different yeah and actually that brings up another one kds baits um i prototyped some of those gills when when he first was doing those and uh um when he first sent it to me the tail didn't have much action so i trimmed it down and actually, he had started changing his um, his formula for how he was doing it at the time, too. And just a little bit trimmed off that tail made all the difference. And that thing thumped like crazy. And I went out and caught a whole bunch of fish on it. Um, it's a killer bait. And I always feel bad because these guys will send me some, some baits. And I don't get to fish them right away because I'm on something else. And uh, I always try to go back and give them props um, when I can and uh, post up some fish with their baits. But a lot of the other stuff, you know, I, I'll, I'll fish it for a year before I even show any pictures or anything, just because I kind of want to keep that little bite I got going. Um, right. But it's, uh, it's hard sometimes, uh, especially when I've been doing some of these little tournament things, you know, you're supposed to post the bait in the fish's mouth. And if I catch a giant, I don't want it to be on that bait because I don't want to have to show up yet. So, yeah. um, uh, yeah. I, I feel like what you just said, you just touched on something that uh, probably would have gone un, unthought of if I didn't bring it up. But you said that uh, a guy sent you a bait to test and you saw that it could do something better and you tweaked it a little bit. Um, 
guys always talk about wanting to test baits and when they test baits they just go out and fish them they don't they don't tweak them they don't a lot of guys feel like if somebody gives me a free bait i don't want to bad mouth their bait i don't want to tell them what they could do different because they're the builder but what you just said right there if i'm a bait builder i want somebody to do exactly what you just said i want them to put it through the paces i want them to cut some tail off you know sand the joints down uh take take the pin out and, and make the joints further or closer together like I, I, people give guys these baits to tinker with them. And I think a lot of guys are, are scared to hurt feelings or maybe even just scared. They're going to screw it up. Like, I feel like if somebody's giving you this bait to test, like you need, you need to try everything. Like you need to make that thing, what, what you want out of a bait and then relay that back to the builder. Exactly. Yeah. I missed a couple of really, really big fish, um, on some of those baits I was testing and the one little tweak that I had um, besides the tail was the slot where the hook laid in the back. It was just a little bit too deep. It was great for keeping the bait from hanging up on bushes and stuff, but it would allow the hook to sit a little too low. So you couldn't get a very good hook in the fish. And that little, all I, like I did it in the field just to make it work is I took a piece of a plastic worm and I, that I had for a rat tail and I cut it in half and laid it down in the bottom of the bait or in the bottom of that hook slot and glued it in there with super glue and instantly like went to catching fish on that thing. And they were, they were easy to hook up with it. And I gave him that feedback. He adjusted how he put the, the little plate in the back of the mold and he made them perfect after that. So that's, that's so awesome, dude. That is just so cool to hear. And like you said, those guys definitely want to hear it. They don't want you just to go throw it and try to catch fish on it. They want you to give them little pointers or tweaks on it. And um, if it's not perfect, they want to make it perfect because that's kind of like their their uh, way of making a living. So <laughs> if you can help yeah. them bring it up and, and get get uh, good money for it, then that's what they want. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, that everything that we talked about today was stuff I had on my list and I sent you over and I was very curious to hear your point of view on stuff. Is there anything that you, you want to touch on before we close her down? Um, not really that I can think of offhand other than, um, you know, I just want to give a shout out to Garrett's customs. That guy paints some phenomenal oh baits. Yeah. And I think, I think, uh, he's starting to get a little bit more recognition now, but, uh, I actually had him do uh, a few baits up for me, a few soft baits. They're actually unique baits. And uh, I'm going to try to give them away and get some people to to uh, show them a little love and stuff. And, uh, you know, there's there's some good guys out there in this industry for sure. Yeah, I actually messaged him. Uh, you posted your steelhead colored, your painted TK, I think, the other day or K9. Yeah. Yeah, I, I saw that, and I'd been following him for a while, and I'm like, screw it, I'm going to message him. So I messaged him, and hopefully uh, he'll get back to me, and he'll come on the podcast. So I've, only had one, I've only ever had one other painter on, and uh, Marlon came on a long time ago, and I, I'd like Marlon's to... Marlon's phenomenal, too. <laughs> yeah, I like Marlon a lot. But I also looked, and I was going to snag uh, some of Garrett's customs, uh, his, his mag draft, because I want to do one for the November giveaway. So I got to pull the trigger on one of those two because dude, that's just, it's such a kick-ass trout color. It is so oh, yeah. sick. I've got a 10 inch that he painted up that I actually won in the tournament this year, but I've got a lot of stuff he painted, but yeah, I've, I've actually got a ghost that Marlon painted and, uh, and a, uh, a wild beat as well. 
Um, he's another phenomenal painter, but yeah, I definitely get some stuff from Garrett. He's been, uh, he's been hooking me up pretty good on that stuff. Uh, I mean, it's caught me a lot of big fish this year. Hell yeah, dude is, I mean, the floor is yours. If you want to shout any, anybody out, any companies you like, any companies you work with, just go for it, dude. And then, and then your Instagram handle and stuff too. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I think I pretty much named them all. Um, you know, Garrett's customs, unique baits, uh, DS customs, uh, toxic, all those guys. Um, it's hard to get them all, uh, could go on for forever about it, but yeah. And then my handle on Instagram is double D bass fishing. Um, and yeah, hopefully you guys uh, enjoy listening to me ramble on about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, I think I think it will. I think um, a lot of guys will enjoy this just to hear hear your perspective on stuff because you are um, a very sought after guy. Especially like we talked about your your three big fish, and and people see that coming coming out of of Washington State, and they're like, wow, like this guy got really lucky three times or he really has an idea of what these fish are intrigued with. And I, I definitely think it's the latter of the two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I've, I've definitely been uh, playing with some stuff and it seems to work. So, but yeah, I guess one thing I wanted to say too, is, uh, you know, Frank mentioned me in the, in the podcast when I listened to him. And uh, when I first met Frank, we were fishing against each other in a TV nation tournament. And, uh, I didn't know him at all uh, when I first met him and I had caught like a six something and a five something and an, uh, another fish. I can't remember what it was, but regardless, I was, I ended up winning that tournament, but I passed him and his partner and I was like, he asked me how I did. And I told him I got a six something and he's like, I want to catch a six something. And he immediately beelines across the lake to where I just came from. And I had left a big giant female over there that was uh, getting ready to come up on a bed and he ended up catching her and taking big fish from me in that tournament. So that's oh, how I ended up meeting Frank. <laughs> funny <guy>. little story. <laughs> <laughs> Damn, man. That's, that's, it's funny that that's how you guys met, though. It's pretty funny. Yeah, we've, we've fished a few times and stuff over the years. And uh, um, he's obviously done well for himself. He, uh, he's, a, he's a stick for sure. Heck yeah, man. Frank, Frank's a good guy from what I've been able to tell. But yeah, like I said, um, I'll I'll leave your Instagram handle in the description for anybody who doesn't already follow you and, and wants to see that Daryl's not full of a bunch of BS. He he's <laughs> on some good fish up there and he knows what he's doing. Uh, as always, like I said, uh, make sure you guys follow Daryl on Instagram. Make sure you guys follow the podcast scales on Tails underscore podcast on Instagram. Uh, make sure you guys rate the show on your listening platform. It's always uh, always fun to see see when people give it a five stars and watch that rating jump up a little bit. Also, the uh, the Thanksgiving fundraiser is still going on uh, today when we're recording this, which is Tuesday, the October 25th. You guys will be hearing this a little bit later. Uh, there's air fresheners up on the site, new air fresheners and, and new uh, Scales and Tails logo stickers up there. And like I said, every anything that you buy off the site automatically enters you into the big giveaway. So I'm, I'm very slowly stockpiling baits for that giveaway. And there's going to be a lot of winners. And I think there's going to be a lot of guys with a lot of cool baits. But um, I hope you guys enjoyed. Daryl was somebody who who I'd, I'd wanted to talk to for a little while now. Um, I I had been kind of kind of looking at his looking at his profile in the in the shadows, and then once I started talking to a lot of these P and W guys, I'm like, oh, like maybe maybe he'll come on and talk. And lucky enough, he, luckily enough, he was. Um, 
and next next on the hit list is is Steven. Hopefully he's going to be coming on really soon, I hope. He's he's got to break that lake record, but I don't know, maybe we'll have to get him on before then, hopefully. <laughs> Steven's a stick, man. He uh he won that last tournament. So yeah, uh, I talked to him about that, but yeah, I want to thank Daryl for coming on. I want to thank you guys for listening and I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It was a super good one. Uh I, I'm going to listen to it because I, I was very intrigued by it and I want to hear it again. But thank you guys for listening and I hope you guys uh, have a good day. Thanks, guys.